Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> I was enthusiastic. It was. Well, we're here to talk about world religions. Dr. Lowe, some time ago, asked us to do a series on world religions, and we'll review the first two that we've done in, in just a moment. We may have given the impression last semester that we were going to talk about uh, the Hindu religion today. I'm working on that. Uh -huh. Why is it taking so long? What, 330 million deities. Yeah. So. That'd be uh, some PowerPoint it, presentation. We should be ready in 11,000 years. Okay. Well, if you're still here, we'll do that one on Hindu religion. You want to uh, recap a little bit what we've done before? We can, sure. We had uh, initially uh, been asked by Dr. Lowe as to um, why it might be beneficial if we were to examine uh, other religions around the world and beliefs that people hold on to and devote their lives to, and particularly in light of some churches' perspectives that these are generated by deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Mm -hmm. And so we had identified that there might be a couple uh, reasons that would be beneficial for us to, to study. First would be uh, for evangelistic purposes. Mm -hmm. This is going to work this time. Mm -hmm. I can always walk over to the machine. Yep. Yep. Well, that's not exactly where we want to be. There we go. Uh, for evangelistic, this is the most stand. critical. That uh, the development of a relationship, that it is so critical that we have an understanding of where they're coming from and what they believe. Uh, Paul, obviously, I had awareness of the Epicureans and the Stoics uh, when he went to Athens and, and met with them on the Areopagus, and sure. so um, especially for the establishing of relationship. Mm -hmm. um, secondarily, we thought that... Is it not working? It's not. Uh-huh. For knowledge about God, we, we had used the parable of the uh, six blind men and the elephant, and that each of them is examining a different aspect of the elephant, and our belief is, is that we have an understanding of the whole elephant because the elephant has revealed himself to us mm -hmm. in Scripture through Jesus, but that each of them is as all truth is God's truth, they're examining a different aspect of the elephant and that we might learn from their examination of the tail or the tusk or the leg or something along sure. those lines. And so uh, this was another uh, dimension, right. another aspect that, that we had considered. That was our first last fall. Uh -huh. And then we had addressed this issue. We yes. call it the soteriological problem of evil. But what is the eternal destiny of the millions, billions of people around the world that have never had opportunity to hear about Jesus and, and to believe in Him? Um, so there are about 7 billion people in the world right now, but um, 
108 to 110 billion have lived on the planet during all of time. This is what demographers believe, that it might be as many as 110 billion. So the, for the whole picture, we need to consider 110 billion people. And of those, the estimate is that at most, 8 billion of those people have been Christian. What about the other billions and billions? Uh, where are they? What's their fate? What's the fate of this computer? There we go. Uh, so if, if, you, if you say that only people who are Christians are going to heaven, this leaves 100 billion people in hell for eternity. Right. I mean, 8 billion people is, is not even a tithe of the total number of people who have lived on the earth. So this is identified as the soteriological, having to do with salvation, mm -hmm. the problem of evil that addresses the issue of so few being saved. And so it raises two issues anyways. Uh, we talked about the goodness of God. How can we maintain God's goodness uh, in light of it seems as if the majority were created to suffer for eternity in hell. And then we had also talked about God's justice. Mm -hmm. Is this just that this many people be consigned to hell? And so we discussed a variety of different possibilities. And had proposed what we called an inclusive exclusivism, mm -hmm. that salvation is only through Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf, but that God will judge people on the basis of what knowledge of Him or what light they have received, and that some have only received, like Romans talks about, uh, they've only received the light of natural revelation, what is revealed of God in nature, or through conscience. So if a person is, has only received a tail or a leg or a trunk, using the elephant analogy, that's what God is going to judge them on, not going to judge them on the basis of what we know as students here at Indiana Wesleyan right. University, right. where we're sort of saturated with the gospel to whom much has been given, much is expected or required, and we certainly have been given much, but most have been given much less, very little. That's a generous position. That, that allows for more than the 8 billion out of the 108 billion, perhaps, allows for more than that to be uh, in heaven and out of hell for all of eternity. Right. In what relationship options? with God. And this has been the position of the church historically. Uh, has been has been that position, okay. so as well as more recently, C.S. Lewis and and others. Did we so, give another option? But no, not okay. today. That was it. No. So, but today, uh, in light of especially Friday's chapel, when there will be a guest speaker who will be talking about his experience uh, with Islam, Dr. Lowe asked us to address Islam and to give kind of an overview uh, to our students as to what Islam is about, what the major tenets and, all, and right. all are, so we will be hoping to address. Yeah. So three basic questions. What is Islam? What are its core beliefs? And how did it begin? We're not going to answer every question that a person might have about Islam, I don't think, are we? No. Okay. So no, no, just that, this basic I, I can be quite confident right. that, that that will not happen. Okay. So. So, what is Islam? Yes, that's just what I was thinking. What is Islam? One of the three monotheistic religions, mm -hmm. uh, along with Judaism and Christianity. And so monotheistic, one God, uh, one supreme uh, deity, one supreme entity. 
Um, Islam means submission, and it is submission to the will of Allah. And so those who are Muslims are submitters, that they submit themselves to. It, it is a very um, deterministic and, and fairly fatalistic religion. Allah is in control of everything. All of the universe is Allah's, and he will bring about that which he desires to bring about. Mm -hmm. So um, about 100, uh, I mean about 1.3 billion adherents is the second largest world religion, only behind Christianity, which has about 2 billion uh, followers. And two principal splits, two principal denominations that the Sunnis and the Shias, and it seems as if we in the West run into sh to Sunnis most often in our conflicts like the, uh, the, the ISIS or ISIL group that's, uh, that's invading territory, wiping out villages, and wiping out Shia villages these days. That's a, uh, ISIS is a, a Sunni it is. effort, right? Right. Uh, right? Those are the ones that we seem to bump into most often. Tremendous amount of rancor, uh, animism, I mean uh, antagonism between the two of them. Uh, the Sunni perceive the Shia to be um, rebellious and heretical. Uh, they've uh, broken off from the proper path, mm -hmm. the uh, path of orthodoxy. So. And yet their beliefs are pretty much the same. Identical, except concerning succession. That was the big split as to who should continue to give direction and governance to the movement. And so after the death of Muhammad, there were three of his most intimate followers that succeeded him, and then his cousin and son-in-law, Ali. And the Shia believed that it should have stayed in the family from that point, that uh, it should have, succession should have gone to one of Ali's sons. Ali was assassinated, and so either Hassan or Hussein should have taken over, and the Sunni uh, believed that no, it should be a decision of the group, mm -hmm. and uh, they went with uh, one of his previous disciples or yeah. followers. Okay. So that's the, that's the big split. Yeah. Five core pillars of Islam. Yes. They are both beliefs and practices, I believe. And the principle, uh, the, the, the most critical one, that which makes you a Muslim, is the testimony that you give, the shahada. Uh, that, uh, and the testimony that is expected is that there are no gods other than Allah, and all knowledge or truth about God has been delivered through his messenger, Muhammad. Yeah. And so this is the... This is the their creedal statement. Yeah. That, that sounds, um, that doesn't seem so far-reaching to me when I hear a Muslim say it, there is no God but Allah and, and Muhammad is his prophet. But if, if I, as an ordained minister of the gospel and a teacher at a Christian institution were to stand up in front of my classes and say, look, I've had a change of heart and, and I'm here to say that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet, that would be far-reaching. That would signal a, a deep change. We signal a similar change when a person becomes a Christian by asking them, can you testify to the fact that, that uh, Jesus is your Savior? And they may say something like, um, I recognize that I was a sinner. I repented of my sins. Jesus forgave me of my sins. I gave my whole heart to God, and now I follow him. That's sort of our testimony. Mm -hmm. And this is the... This is the uh, 
testimony is, of a Muslim. That's right. That, that in a sense, it really is a repudiation of Judaism and Christianity. <coughs> Their belief is that we Christians, uh, because of the corruption of the truth that has been revealed to us, God has been revealing Himself through the millennia. And he has attempted at least three times, uh, initially with Abraham, with Judaism, uh, and that it got twisted and distorted, and so then he attempted a second time with the prophet Jesus, and that, unfortunately, early on, it was also twisted and distorted, and so now, finally, this is the last installment. One of the reasons that the previous ones went so badly awry was because they were not given in the language of heaven. Mm. They, were not trans- they were not given to man in Arabic. Arabic is the language of heaven. And so the Quran is in Arabic. If you're going to read the Quran properly, you learn Arabic. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is the final revelation of the truth. Okay. What's the second pillar? Prayer, ritual mm-hmm. prayer. Uh, that is expected of all who profess, all who testify, uh, that it will be five times a day uh, with public prayers on Friday uh, where they'll gather together. Uh, Each of the prayers will be a recitation of various verses from the Quran and that it will be done facing towards Mecca in Saudi Arabia because in Mecca is the Kaaba, which is the center of God's... um, establishment of his connection to the earth. Mm-hmm. The Kaaba, and we'll, I'll show a picture of that in a minute, the Kaaba on earth is directly under the Kaaba in heaven. Mm-hmm. There's a Kaaba in heaven, so there's a, a connection between those two. So ritual prayers, uh, as, um, as an evangelical Christian, I think, boy, the prayers ought to be from your heart. They ought to be infused with passion and ought to be meaningful conversation between a believer and God. But ritual prayers sound sort of cold and mechanical. Can you enlighten me on that? More, I think that they would envision them more along our um, Lord's Prayer, reciting the Lord's Prayer, or the Apostles' Creed, our various creedal statements. And so these would be especially important and germane passages from the Quran that they would recite, most having to do with the majesty of Allah, His worthiness of being worshipped, uh, it is a very transcendent, very exalted, very high perspective on God. And so these would just be reminders of uh, our dependence on Him, of mm-hmm. His supremacy. And the prayer is done wherever you are, whenever the call to prayer comes. Right. You drop what you're doing right. and, and orient yourself place. towards Mecca yeah. and then. Uh, wow, begin incredible the devotion. Can you imagine that happening on campus with ritual prayer? Everybody, wherever you are, well, okay, let's not pursue that. Especially daybreak. Yeah. Yeah. Daybreak? Yeah. That's when one of the prayer times is? Daybreak. Right. That's pretty early for me. So to have someone from the bell tower calling us all to prayer. I can hear Dr. Lowe doing that, can't you? No. No. I mean, he's here at that time of day, but I can't imagine him doing that. He's up. He never sleeps. He's always up. Let's go on to the third one. Third one is uh, tithing. Uh-huh. It is a required tithe of 2.5% of your income. For a Wait a minute. A tithe, tithe is a technical term that means tenth. How do they get by with 2.5%? I have a lot of church members that would like to tithe 2.5%. Many church members do tithe 2.5%. <laughs> so, but... 
And this is, this is uh, not voluntary. This is just a given. This will be taken, uh, right? And for the needy, the poor, uh, those who uh, are destitute, homeless, and all this would be... And then there's also free will offerings. You can give more if you want. Okay. But this is what's expected. Uh-huh. So. The uh, fourth is fasting, and particularly uh, during the month of Ramadan, uh, from food and drink and from sunup to sundown mm-hmm. uh, is the expected uh, during the month of Ramadan. And because it's a lunar cycle, that kind of varies. It moves to different places during the course of the year uh, so, when Ramadan is. So Ramadan could come at any time. It's not only in the fall. Right. It could come any time during the year. And what's this pattern? Is this just a nice design? This is how they are to distinguish when the fast begins and when the fast ends. It's when you can distinguish between a black and a white thread, and then when you can't distinguish between a black and a white thread. So this is the the pattern, is when that all looks gray uh, in the evening, you can break the fast, Mm -hmm. and then when you can recognize the white and the black in the morning, you begin the fast. Fasting for a whole month. Right. And then a tremendous celebration at the end of that. Uh, there's just a wonderful three days of feasting uh, to, to celebrate. This is the final, the fifth pillar of Islam, is that it's expected if, if in any way able, uh, monetarily uh, or physically, uh, that one is expected to travel to Mecca in Saudi Arabia and to participate in the Hajj, uh, this pilgrimage. Um, and... Uh, it is a whole week long, very, a variety of different things. We're probably most familiar with the uh, walking around the Kaaba, uh, which is the... Uh, get it one more time, see if we get it. There we go. This is the Kaaba. <clears throat> 40 by 40 by 40, mm-hmm. uh, is basically, are the dimensions of the structure. And uh, so this is the group during the Hajj that is walking. They're to walk around it seven times. And ideally, uh, they would have opportunity uh, to touch one corner of that. In one corner of that is a meteorite that was discovered well before uh, the time of Muhammad. And... Uh, that the, the ideal, now in a crowd like that you can't, you can only look towards it with reverence and all, but the ideal would be to be able to touch that. Um, a messenger from God is the belief about this meteorite, that this is God sending an emissary to earth. And so when it left heaven, it was milky white, and as it entered earth and collected the sins of mankind, it became black. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's black uh, at this point. So this is a pilgrimage. There used to be, in Christian tradition, uh, a practice of taking a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. Right. This is a pilgrimage. Holiest site uh, for Muslims. Mm-hmm. This is the, the most holy. Mecca and then Medina, where he went uh, to escape the persecution in right. Mecca, and then Jerusalem is the third holiest site. And fascinating that the, that the Kaaba is, uh, at least part of it, centers on the remains of a meteorite that fell to the earth in the book of Acts, when Paul is in Ephesus, there's a great uproar of, um, of the people who've been worshiping Artemis or Diana. 
and Paul is converting people to Christianity, and the silversmiths are losing business because people aren't buying his idols. There's a great riot that ensues, and one of them finally stands up to calm the crowd and says, uh, men of Ephesus, we know that, that the goddess Artemis came to us, her image came to us from heaven. It was a meteorite that fell to the earth, and they revered as a deity. Here you see a similar kind of a practice. The, the meteorite is not revered as a deity, but it's a sacred stone and communicates a, a symbolic communication and, and from God. And had been revered even before Muhammad. It had been a part of the Kaaba well, this is not just for centuries. No, this is not new to them. Uh, in fact, the story is that it actually, the first Kaaba was built by Adam and his sons, and mm. that they built this around the meteorite. The, mm -hmm. this, is, this is very ancient. Is there anything else in the Kaaba besides? Not now. Uh, I mean, a couple tables and things and pillars and some plaques on the wall. But uh, it had been, during the time that Muhammad is first uh, growing up, it had housed 300-plus different idols, statues of various deities. Uh, Mecca was a major trading route, mm -hmm. and so they would have the gods of the various peoples that would travel through there, and so it would be a place that people would come to worship as well as to trade. And so for about 20 miles around, there was a no-warfare zone. And so it was a peaceful place that they could come and do their trade, and so they would house the, all the deities. And this is what was so upsetting to Muhammad over time, is that uh, it seemed to be a, a profaning of Allah. Allah is one of the deities uh, who was in there, and that he needed to be the only deity that is revered, and the others need to be cleaned out. So it, he had an inclination, much like the Jews had in... in um, in Palestine, any false deity that was brought into the temple caused tremendous angst among the Jews, uprisings, re revolutions, and rebellions. Their insistence was on the one, and Muhammad picks that up and emphasizes Allah. And, and we get this from um, the early years. Uh, as he's born somewhere around 570, 571 or so in Mecca, and he is unfortunately orphaned uh, early on, uh, age six, taken in by grandfather. Grandfather dies, taken in by uncle. Um, Mecca is the commercial trading center, spice route. A lot of the caravans would go through there. And uh, so they would come to worship at the Kaaba and then to trade their goods that way. And it would bring Jewish and Christian traders into this area, and he would talk with them. Uh, in the marketplace and learn the very stories of what these religions. And so increasingly, he became drawn towards monotheism, this idea that there should be one supreme deity, one supreme being, and that uh, there should not be all of, this, uh, all of these other lesser entities. And so he started to teach this and became increasingly under pressure in fact, there were several assassination attempts by the leaders of Mecca mm. who were fearful that he was going to disrupt everything that mm -hmm. they had going on. Uh, sure, a similar area. response that Paul saw in Ephesus. Right. You're interrupting our trade uh, because you're interrupting our religion. Stop that. Let things go back to normal. He uh, is part of the caravan trades, travels, uh, meets a lot of different people, marries a woman who's 15 years older than him, and she is wealthy because of her owning of the various uh, caravans. And so he moves into a place in his life where about age 40, uh, he is able to begin taking spiritual retreats. 
And so near uh, Mecca, there's a mountain, Manhira, and he would go and take time, days, uh, in a cave there. Mm. And during one of these times, he was visited by a being of some type that he came eventually to believe was the angel Gabriel, whose first word to him was recite, mm. Quran, recite. And uh, so then over the next 22 years, he would receive uh, revelations from Allah through Gabriel of the truth mm -hmm. that there is only one God and his name is Allah and this is how to properly worship him. Now I brought a Quran with me today. I brought mine, it's better. Yeah, it looks better. It's bigger, it's hardback, it's green. That's really cool. What's different between these two books? My understanding is that the Quran is about the length of the New Testament, but yours is much bigger. Why is, it, why is yours bigger? Commentary. Than... I've, I've, they've, mm -hmm. There are several commentators that... So it's Arabic, and then the English translation, and then commentators. Why does yours have Arabic? It, the language of heaven. This is how the Quran is to properly be read, is that it really should not have English or any other language attached to it. So if I read the Quran in English, I'm not really reading the Quran. Right. I'm reading something else, but not the Quran. Okay, interesting. Hmm. So, questions have arisen as to how do we account for this? What is going on with this angel that comes? And, and initially, uh, he's very perplexed by this. Uh, quite fearful, actually. Uh, initially, he's afraid he's losing his mind, that he's having a psychotic break, that, that this is just somehow his imagination. Uh, and then he fears that perhaps it's a genie, they call them jinns, uh, that has appeared to him and is trying to delude him. And so it really takes him a couple of years where he's persuaded by his wife and others that, no, this is not the case, this is an angel, you are receiving communication from God, mm -hmm. and that it's uh, important that you communicate this to us so that we can learn this as well. So this Quran, this revelation, one explanation is that there is a divine inspiration. Right, right. That it what is the God who is, and, and that, I mean, for believers, well, there's the possibility of human, that mm -hmm. this is just his... He took together all these stories, the various Arabic fables and Jew Jewish and Christian stories and cobbled them all together and, and kind of put it into his own. Uh, and then I, there's the possibility that it's of demonic origin. Hmm. And what does that mean? That our adversary intentionally used this opportunity to disseminate information that would delude hmm. hundreds of thousands, millions, billions of people and lead them away from the truth of who God is and how God uh, desires to uh, bring people back into relationship with Him. I'd just like to point out that I did not say that, that Dr. Horst said that it could be of demonic origin in case any Muslims are listening and they're coming after somebody, come after him, don't come after me. Thank you, David. Yes, well, I'm, I'm your friend. You not only threw me under the bus, you tied me up and dragged me into the wheel. So. No, I would, I would think that that would be very upsetting for a Muslim to hear us say that, that it could be that this, this Gabriel is really Satan and disguising himself as an angel of light would be very upsetting for them. Right, right. It, it, I'm, possibility. 
yeah. let's just so we consider. Acknowledge, we acknowledge that, that this is a very upsetting possibility, yes. and yet it seems to be one of the three logical possibilities right. of how right. this right. Quran and originated. Now, the one for Christians, <laughs> I'll take the walk. Okay. The walk of shame. The, the idea that it's of divine origin is not a possibility for believers. Uh, that um, I think we've got about two. Whoa! Yeah, we we better hasten. We better hasten. All right. So, no. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Jesus' statement. Jesus is the sole revelation of the Father, and so uh, that is complete. And uh, that anything that uh, challenges that or distracts from that uh, is not of God. Mm -hmm. And so this is the. Uh, uh, so we dismiss the idea of it being divine, the human as possibility. Um, more support for this, uh, there are many stories from the Old Testament and New Testament, about 50 different characters mm -hmm. from the Old Testament and New Testament show up within this. Uh, there are sadly, literally hundreds of contradictions uh, within the Quran, mm -hmm. which would make sense uh, if it's an individual transmitting this to other individuals. It's an oral tradition. It's not being written down until years later. It's being written down on different fragments of things, and so there are different stories that are being told. And so who is the first Muslim? Could be Adam, could be Abraham, could be Jacob, could be some Egyptians, could be Muhammad. Mm -hmm. And so we get any alcohol. Is alcohol acceptable or not? And you get two differing uh, verses within the Quran on okay. that. So, um, his uh, third wife, Aisha, uh, makes this observation uh, that uh, there's problems. He has 12 wives, and so he is to uh, spend time with each of them, and there's a rotation, and so uh, he isn't following the rotation, and the wives get angry about this, and so Allah weighs into this and gives him a revelation that uh, the prophet is able to decide for himself and that he isn't to be bound by this rotation. Mm -hmm. And his wife makes this observation that I feel that your Lord hastens in fulfilling your wishes and desires, that somehow it seems as if there's a very interesting… Yeah. She sees the human origin, at least in this aspect. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and then… Uh, this is another, uh, kind of the ends justifies the means uh, principle. And so particularly for those who are in um, weakened or minority positions, uh, lying is acceptable, lying is permitted, uh, dissimulation, uh, deceit, uh, and so that would kind of fit with uh, a human. Um, and then the final uh, would be that of demonic. And so in questioning as to whether this might be the case. We have a miracle, an angel appearing, and so it's been suggested there, there are three aspects that might be uh, focused upon. What are the facts of the situation? What is the focus mm -hmm. uh, of this miraculous uh, context? And then what is the fruit? What comes about as a result of this? Um, we only have his report. There are no other eyewitnesses. No one else ever saw Gabriel, and so it is only mm -hmm. Uh, Muhammad, who is re recounting this particular instance. Um, 
It is interesting that as you go through the Quran, uh, about 60% of it has to do with jihad, mm. with this holy war that is to be waged, both internally and externally, in bringing all of creation into submission, mm. into Islam, uh, under the uh, governance of Allah, um, and then the fruit. Uh, of what has been the fruit of this particular revelation, and that kind of leads us to what we don't have time to do now, obviously, since we've run out of time. Um, and it would be nice if this last slide would up oh, there. And this is what we'll address then next semester, is maybe the most important question that we're wrestling with in regard to Islam at this point in time is, is it a religion of peace or is it a religion of violence? Right. Thank you. So we're out of time, but um, I just want to wrap up by saying we hope that we've presented a, uh, an overview of Islam and that if you engage someone who is of this faith, please be respectful of them. Listen to this. Their faith does for them what your faith does for you. It helps give meaning to the world and to society. It's what they use to make sense of life. So engage them in, in a sense, uh, in the sense that you are another individual trying to find meaning. Be curious, be interested, show that you know something, and then let them see something of your experience with God, the, God, the Father of Jesus Christ. Thanks for coming today. Friday, testimony of a man who converted from the Muslim faith to the Christian faith.